I'm pumped to get into this evening as we look at what is probably a very familiar story to many of you, and that is the story found in 2 Samuel 11, if you want to open there. 2 Samuel 11 is the story of David and Bathsheba and the Lord's healing in that famous story. And so if you're familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba, it I hope that there's some fresh light shed on it. And if you're new to the story, I hope that you see some of the, of the warnings that come along for all of us in, uh, in, in this story of David and Bathsheba. So I'm going to read just a few verses to you, and I believe they'll be up on the screen. It says, in the spring, at the time of year when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole, ar- whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, she is Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. It's the beginning of a long, long bad road for King David after this and certainly a long hard road for Bathsheba. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you speak to us through your word. I ask that you would speak to us this evening. Father, help us to see your truth. Lord, may you meet each of us where we are as we look into the story and we look to see where we are in the story. And most of all, Lord, help us to see you not only in the story, but in our lives. It's in Christ's name. Amen. I want to back up just a couple of of verses, and I want you to see something here. It says that in the spring that the kings would go off to war. David, though, he didn't go. He sent a guy named Joab. David remained in Jerusalem. There's, this is the, there's a reason that the Bible writers would include something like this. They want you to know right up front, this is going to be a bad story. They want you to know right up front that David is clearly making a mistake. And that's one of the great things about the Bible is we don't hide those things from people. One of the great things about the Scriptures are the transparency of the Scriptures. And so we see right out of the gate, it's the springtime, and the springtime is when the kings would go off to war. And why the springtime? Well, the springtime is when the grass began to grow and you could graze your horses you could take your horses, you could take your livestock if you had livestock. Most of the, the Jewish army would not have had horses, but they would have had to have had some livestock so that they could have fed themselves. You can go and you, you can sustain yourself in the springtime. So that's the time everybody would go to war. Now, there's a big kicker in here. Everybody went to war. There's something about like, like, you know, a bunch of us went to the mountains this past weekend. Some of y'all were at weddings. Some of you had other stuff you had to do. But by and large, if you were with a group of people over this past weekend, and especially if the group of people was pointed towards the Lord, you probably didn't sin a whole lot. At least not like what you could have done if you had been at home by yourself with no one looking. 
And so there's something, too, all these guys would go to war together, and they would just bro out, you know, like, I killed more than you. I killed more than you. Look at this arrow sticking out of my arm. Like, they would just totally bro out, and they were having a great time. And, uh, and the wives do whatever the wives would do back home, probably like, thank the Lord. I hope the battle lasts a long time. We love spring. Um, maybe they were sad. Maybe they missed their husbands. But in general, it brought everybody together. And there's something about the power of community, especially community directed towards Christ, that keeps you on the path towards Christ. That's one of the reasons that we hope that you continue to invite people to church on Sunday morning, invite people on Tuesday nights, not so that things get to a certain size and everybody pats themselves on the back and say, I go to this thing and there's a bunch of people at this thing. But because the more we can pull people out of their apartments and out of their houses and get them with other believers in a group setting, the better chance we have of having a really bright light for Christ. Because you just get energized when you're together. And then when you disperse, you can't help but take some of that light with you as you go and you live in your community and in your work and with your families and your roommates. So it's really important. They set this up to say in the spring when everybody was supposed to do what they were supposed to do, David didn't. And he delegated out his responsibility. And I think that there's some, I, I think there's some really important things to to learn in that idea. But then, not only that, you see in the next set of verses, he is laying around in the afternoon. Depending on what version you have, I'm reading from the ESV, you'll see that David was, uh, some will say it was like, it was noon. What you get is sometime after lunch, before dinner, David's laying in the bed. And now, none of his soldiers were laying in the bed then. All of the guys are out fighting. They're doing their thing. They're, they're serving their country. They're with their bros. And so what, is, what happens? Well, that's when he sees Bathsheba. She's clearly uh, not clothed at this point. And then he takes advantage of her. Now, Bathsheba, we're going to talk about her a little bit as we continue on tonight. Bathsheba is usually not talked about in this story. Most of the time, in fact, have you, how many of you have, you have heard typically, if you've heard this story, Bathsheba is just a, like a kind of a ghost character. She's out on the side. You don't hear much about her. Show of hands. Anybody? That's you. Yeah. All four of us. Oh, cool. Um, so I'm going to pretend there's like a silent majority. It'll make me feel better. But yeah, Bathsheba is usually not included a ton in this story. Bathsheba's a main player. She's taken advantage of. Her life is totally uh, unearthed and she is basically forced to sleep with the king. She's going to have a child. Her husband is going to die as the story plays out. It's going to be a really bad time for her. So here's the questions we're going to run through. One, why was David home? We've talked about that a little bit. Two, are naps bad? Uh, three, how could David, who in 1 Samuel 13, 14, is called a man after God's own heart? Think about that for just a minute. How do you go from somebody that God, when he's looking down from heaven and sees all of humanity, what if he spotted you and said, Noah, a man after my own heart? Noah was up here with the mic a minute ago. He's sitting on the front row, easy to pick on. Like, what if, I hope he does that. I hope he looks and uh, Andrea was also on the mic. I hope he looks and he says, Andrea, a woman after my own heart. I hope he does that for a bunch of us in the room, all of us in the room at some point. And he did. But how do you go from a man after God's own heart 
to a guy who's laying in a bed in the middle of the afternoon, picks out a woman and says, bring her to me, I want to sleep with her, and then eventually murders her husband to cover up the fact that he's impregnated the guy's wife. It's a big slide. And then, of course, what about Bathsheba? God's response we want to certainly take a look at. And then we also want to just ask the kind of closing question of where am I in this story? So I think we go to, uh, to why was David home? Well, if we look through the story here, uh, David is home. He doesn't go to war. He calls in Bathsheba. Let's keep reading in the story, and let's just kind of see how it plays out. And, uh, and let's, let's maybe infer a few things here. So starting in, uh, let's go to verse 5. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. So David sent word to Joab. Joab is David's main general. If, you've, if you're reading the Bible in 90 days, let's see a, hand, a show of hands for the 90-day people in the room. Come on, raise them proud. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Several 90-day people. When you get here, one, pat yourself on the back. You've gotten further than most people ever get when they try to read it through. But when you get here, you're going to see Joab often. Like he's all over. He, like, he is one of David's mighty men. He's there all the time. Joab is a key player in David's life. And so he sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how was Joab doing, and how are the people doing, and how is the war going? Well, David clearly knew all the answers to that. Then David said to Uriah, well, go down to your house now and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present uh, from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah didn't go down to his house. David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why do you not go down to your house? By the way, if you're wondering, like, what is the big deal about washing your feet and going down to your house? There's like, bam, chicka, bam, bam, music in the background. David's like, go see your lady and do things that only married people should do. That's what he's telling him here. He's like, you should go home and do some loving with your wife. And, and it would be what most soldiers would do when they would come home. There was always a baby boom after a war. Like, and all the guys are home, all the women are like, here we go. And, uh, and then they're all pregnant together. And so, big, uh, big baby boom. And that's what he was saying. He was saying, go home, be with your wife. Well, Uriah doesn't. Now, he's sexually deprived, just like all the other soldiers. But he doesn't go home to be with his wife. Instead, he stays at the king's house. And he stays at the king's house because when he's staying at the king's house, he's telling, uh, he's telling the king, and the soldiers, I'm with you. I'm still one of the guys. So he, uh, Uriah said to David, verse 11, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. And then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem to that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence, and he drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of the Lord. He did not go down to his house. And so here's how the rest of the story plays out. David sends a note to Joab. He says, Joab, put Uriah on the front lines of the fight. When the fighting is the worst, I want you to withdraw your troops so that it is absolutely certain that Uriah dies in the fight. 
This is the guy who is a man after God's own heart. He lines up this incredibly loyal guy who wouldn't even go home to who is apparently his beautiful bride. He wouldn't even go home to her because he was so loyal to the Lord and to David and to the army that he laid outside at the king's palace with the servants. David says in a note to Joab, I want you to sabotage this guy and kill him, put him in the front of the fighting. When the fighting gets really bad, pull all the troops back. It's basically a collective murder against, against Uriah ordered by David, all to cover over the fact that David had gotten his wife pregnant. So why was David home in the first place? You know, I think at this point, David was probably either, and this is where I need you to listen for you in the story. I think David was probably either bored or disappointed or stressed or prideful or insecure or felt entitled or resentful or already given to some sort of temptation. And this is where I would ask you as, as a Christian if that's what you are. You see, I told you the, the, the factual reasons why springtime is when they go off to war, but I think this spring is an interesting time also. We're coming out of a year of COVID. Some of you have done a really good job of having your quiet time, of seeking Christian community, of not partying as much or not drinking as much or, um, or abstaining from this or breaking up from a relationship. Like some of you have made like some really big strides to say, I'm putting a stake in the ground, I'm gonna be a Christian and I'm gonna be a Christian when other folks are falling away from Christ. David was a lone soldier for the Lord for years and years and years. There was one point when following the Lord meant that David had to act like he was crazy to avoid being killed by another king from another village when he's on the run from Saul after God had already anointed him and said, one day, David, you're going to be king. For 40 years, David had carried on with the Lord. He wrote some of the best psalms during that time. But something, somewhere along the way, broke. He wanted to build a temple for the Lord in 2 Samuel chapter 7, just a few chapters before, and God said, no, you can't build the temple. So maybe, maybe he was a little disappointed. Uh, maybe, he was, maybe he was bored of, man, it's just life. Like, it's just life right now. Like, some of you, it's just life right now. You're going back to work. You're going back to school. You're going back to your family. You're going to somebody else's wedding always a bridesmaid, never a bride. You're like, this is just, this is the worst. Like you're like, you're like, you know what, but you're still having your quiet time and you're still praying and you're still like occasionally listening to, you know, Jordan Coughlin on your, uh, on your iTunes on the way places and, uh, and you podcast occasionally. You're like, yes, by and large, I am definitely Christian. I love the Lord. I'm not turning my back on him. Uh, but maybe you're, maybe there's some stress. Maybe you uh, have seen an ex recently, or maybe you've seen somebody get together with somebody else, or maybe like somebody got the promotion you didn't get, and you were the you were clearly the only one that prayed about the promotion. The other person's a pagan, like, and you got the promotion. They got the promotion. Like, maybe there's some stress there. Uh, 
maybe, uh, maybe there's just some pride of I am doing the right things and it doesn't seem like it's getting me ahead. Insecurity, entitlement, resentfulness. I think David could have had any one of these or a combination of several of these. But you get them all together and I think David, I, I think the, the weeds of the spring started to be planted back in the fall. And so by the time spring got there, he was like, you know what, I'm out. We're not going to get to naps being bad yet. Sorry, I thought I had another slide on that one. Um, but I think that he had already decided this slow, slow burn of, you know what, I've gone so hard for the Lord so long, maybe I can just take a break. And I'm telling you, there are folks in the city of Atlanta that haven't been to church in 20 years because they got to that point when they were 25. And they were like, I was the Christian in college. I was the Christian in my first job. I was the Christian in my family. I was the only person who wanted to pray for a meal. I was, I was, I was. And the whole thing is past tense. Their whole Christian life is in the rear view and they don't have anything going forward. And they're just like, you know what? I'm... I'm just going to take a break for a minute. I'm not giving up on God. I'm certainly still going to go to church and whatnot, but like I'm just going to take a break. And David just took a break. But since he wasn't a priest, he wasn't like going to take a break from like presiding over the church. He was the king. So he was like, I'm, I, I'm the king. I'm the leader. I'm just going to take a little break. I deserve a little me time. And so that leads us into, well, our nap's bad. If you deserve a little me time, David took a little nap. This is really, really interesting. There's, I don't know if you know what the Talmud and what the Midrash are, but um, the Talmud is basically the rabbinical commentary on the scriptures, and Midrash is what either they think that the Lord spoke to them about the scriptures, the Jewish people, or just kind of famous sayings about the scriptures. But there's a whole bunch of commentary that I found on David taking a nap. I'll read you the verse again. It's... Uh, it's right there in verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. It seems like one little line, like he was just sleeping. This is what folks really think, that perhaps David wasn't napping. David had gone to war for years, 40 years he had been on the run or been in war. He deserved a little me time. David had a bunch of women in his life, a lot of concubines, a few wives, what they believe is inferred from taking a nap and getting off the couch. And if you don't believe me, you can go to blueletterbible.com and you can look up uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2, look at the word couch, and what you'll see is a Hebrew reference to a bed that concubines laid on. There's a very good chance that David had just had sex with one of his concubines. He got up from the couch after having sex with a concubine, walked around on his roof, and he saw out there in the distance Bathsheba. And so one of the interesting commentaries is that uh, this is, I know this is gonna sound crude, but I'm reading you actually an old, old commentary. Um, and so it's not me trying to be crude, unnecessarily crude. The commentators would say, men have a very small organ. 
you can kind of get where that's going. Men have a very small organ that they think that if it is fed, will be satisfied, but if it is fed, only grows hungrier. But when starved, becomes satisfied. So here's the progression of David. He doesn't go to war. He needs a little break. He's been faithful for a long time. You know what? Why not hook up with some of his concubines? They're his concubines after all. And you know what? That'll keep him from making mistakes. That'll keep him from all the other wives that are out there without their husbands. But he's feeding that flame of lust. And so if this is all true, he's feeding that flame of lust instead of starving it, and he's feeding it, and then he looks out and he sees Bathsheba, and he's lost all control at this point, and he's like, I'll have her too. So you see this incredible slide from grace in the guy that the Bible calls the man after God's own heart. And so how could he do this? 1 Samuel 13, 14, if you're taking notes, that's the verse where we read that he is called a man after God's own heart. Uh, 1 Samuel 17, that's the famous David and Goliath passage. Uh, I'll fast forward. 2 Samuel chapter 7, that's where God covenants with David to basically have Jesus through his lineage. And so I think David had had one moment after another, after another, after another, and for the last several years, he had just hit normal. And I think David did, I love some of your Instagrams. Some of your Instagrams are like, warning, this is my highlight reel. And it is. Like, my Instagram is definitely my highlight reel. Like, and if I had like a, like a fake name for myself, I would put up even more pictures. My back, you would just see my back though and not my face. I'd be like, look at me. Um, and some, some of you are shameless. You're like, look at me. And, uh, and so, and I, and I do. I'm like, that. I like that. That's good. Uh, but like, you're just like showing off for the whole world. And I'm like man, I just ate like pizza and you just surfed in California. You know, like that's your highlight reel. And so I think David had lived this really incredible life that looked a lot like a highlight reel, but for the last several years it had just been normal. And I think David, one of the things is he didn't realize that life isn't a highlight reel. And I think he had just gotten to the place where it was really hard to just put one foot in front of the other and keep following God, even though life kept staying the same. And for some of you, your job will stay the same for years. Your friends may stay the same. They may change a little bit, but life just may be normal. And some of your friends may get married, and they may move off, and you may still be single. Uh, and you're just like, if somebody said, how's your life? You'd be like, it's the same as it was last year. Like, that would be the cynical side of you to be able to say that. But the reality is, that is most of life. Most of life is like Groundhog Day. It's like kind of a redo of yesterday. Most of life is not a highlight reel. And I think David just got tired of life just being life. And I think those, that weed that grew up in the spring, that committing adultery with Bathsheba and then having her husband murdered, I don't think that that weed just happened to pop up one spring where he was like, I'm not going to war. I'm going to hook up with my concubines and maybe kill a guy. Like, I don't think that happened. I think that got planted way back in the fall. And I think it just showed up in the spring. And then you look at this story and you got to say, well, what about Bathsheba? You know, Bathsheba is a victim. And some of you have been victims of somebody like a David. 
And that's a whole nother thing when you become a victim of a David. Because those folks are narcissistic and they flex their power on you and they tell you what you can tell other people. And I think one of the, one of the greatest things that happens to someone who is happened upon by a David is this sense of shame that comes on them that they think is born in themselves. But the reality is that shadow of shame that's cast on you is from the other person. And one of the hardest things to unravel is the bitterness that can happen towards that person. And you can lose yourself in what happened to you, and that becomes who you are. In fact, I told Jordan kind of jokingly beforehand, I said, when we get to Bathsheba, if somebody identifies with Bathsheba, I'm going to send them to you, because Jordan actually is a really good counselor. And if you hear this story and you say, you know what, I can relate more to a Bathsheba than I can a David, because I've been a victim of a narcissistic person enforcing their will upon me, I really would encourage you to talk to Jordan Coughlin either tonight or in the next couple of days or weeks. I would just say, just try to get a little time with him or Jennifer McClish or Lou at the church. All three of those folks are incredible. Myself or Heather, we'd love to talk to you too, but I'm just giving you a little bit more expert opinion on that because that's a tough spot to be in. But victims are still called to trust God and to seek and follow him. Ultimately, what that means is what our hope for someone who's been a victim of a David is that they're not defined by that, but they're still defined by who the Lord says that they are. And so we got to see, we haven't seen much of God in this story yet. We see a bunch of, a bunch of humans and a bunch of, of, of uh, human responses. But let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 12 and let's see what's God's response. 2 Samuel 12, verse 1, And the Lord sent Nathan. Nathan is the prophet. The book is titled Samuel, First and Second Samuel. That was the prophet before Nathan. In fact, if you were, in, if you were a Jew and you had the scroll of First and Second Samuel, it would just be one scroll, and it would just be called Samuel. But it was so big, that's a really hard scroll to carry around. They broke it up into two books. True story. And so 2 Samuel 12, we have a new prophet, even though the book is still called Samuel. And the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to David. And he came to him, and he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. And he used to eat the morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. I was reading the story today in our little Boston Terrier, Gatsby. We have two, Daisy and Gatsby, after the great Gatsby. Daisy's just like sacked out, just sound asleep, snoozing. And Gatsby is scared to death of the thunderstorms. And so he's like under my chin, like shaking all over. And I was holding him. And I was reading this story while I was holding him. And I was like, it's like little Gatsby, the ewe lamb. Like this big, strong, this big, strong Jewish man is holding this little ewe lamb. Like uh, it's just a, it's kind of a sweet little picture. And so... He's got this one little lamb that he loves, and he loves it, and it was like a daughter to him. Verse 4, now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, and he killed it, 
and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the one who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to him, you are the man. People always wonder, like, is it God convicting me or is it not? Look, when God goes to convict you, you don't have to wonder what he's talking about. Now, the Lord used a story to get David's attention, and then as soon as Nathan said, you're the man, David was cut to his heart, and he knew, I took the little ewe lamb. I took Bathsheba. I killed Uriah. I'm the guy. And what I said should happen to that man should happen to me. I deserve to die. Look, when the Lord convicts you about something, just take this. If you don't take anything else from tonight, just know this. When God convicts you, you'll know he's convicting you. You won't have to wonder, like, what was that? Like, he, he doesn't miss. He's not, like, playing darts three drinks in. All right? Like, he, he knows, like, exactly, exactly what to tell you to get your attention so that you know, like, oh, he, that is it. Oh, I'm convinced. Like, I know. It's like somebody's reading my journal. I, he's talking directly to my heart. I know what I'm doing. And he knows what I'm doing. So he confronts with the truth. Then he disciplines, and he still has the same formula today. He confronts David with the truth. After that, he says, David, you're going to have struggles in your household until the day you die. There is discipline on his life. David disrupted somebody else's life. God is going to let his life be disrupted. David disrupted somebody else's family. God is going to let David's family be disrupted. And then... There's comfort in the discipline. If you look through 2 Samuel 12, the Lord is going to promise to continue to keep his covenant, which he made in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And in Psalm 51, one of the greatest psalms ever written, David calls out and he says things like, Lord, if you will cleanse me, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And he goes on and on and on, and he says to cleanse me with hyssop, wash me, make me clean. David is begging for forgiveness. It's an incredible psalm when God convicts us, and it was written after this moment. So I think we have to ask the question, where am I in this story? And I think this is so important for spring of 2021 because I think a bunch of us are probably some iteration of David. Our spiritual lives have been like a highlight reel. Like I was a part of this small group and I was like head Christian in college or I got saved late in college and it's been this incredible journey and you just fill out your like Christian accolades and it's been awesome and now it's just kind of like life. And it's just kind of one foot in front of the other and it's not as exciting as it was. I think David was definitely there. I think there, some of you are like, no, 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 I'm super excited about the Lord. You're still in that victorious stage. You're like, things are great. Well, just know you could still have one of these moments. 
In fact, I'll just go ahead and say it. If you live long enough, you'll have an opportunity to pull a David and Bathsheba at some point. It doesn't have to be adultery. It can be anything. But you'll have an opportunity. David was hunted for his faith. Maybe you're there. If you're in that moment where you're hunted because you're following the Lord, people are after you, people don't like you, people are upset with you, that'll drive you closer to the Lord. He eventually, though, was defeated. He fell. But he didn't stay down. He wrote Psalm 51. He begged the forgiveness of God. He carried on in that relationship with him. Or maybe you're some iteration of Bathsheba. One, I just want to say I'm glad you're here because I think the church can be a hard place to trust if you've seen, because the church has people of power. I get up every week and I tell you things to do and some people do it and there's, there's power there. It's, and Jordan sings, leads us in worship and he tells you what to sing and most of us sing it. Uh, Jason on Sunday morning preaches and he tells us what to do and a lot of us do it. Like it's really, really hard to, uh, to trust folks that are in power because it's like, hey, somebody in power is the one who hurt me. And so I'm just glad you're here. And I would say, keep your guard up. Let us earn your trust. I think when we look at where I am in the story, these are the verses that came to mind as we wrap up tonight. One is Proverbs 28.13. Proverbs 28.13 is a, is a pretty convicting verse, and it says that, um, it says that if we conceal our sins, that we will not prosper. If Nathan hadn't have come to David and called him out, the cancer would have grown more and more and killed David. If the Lord is putting his finger on something in your life that is unpleasing to him, the best thing we can do is say, thank you for showing me that, Lord. Now help me to deal with it. The worst thing we can do is just turn the light back off and say, I don't want to see that. Galatians 6, 9, for those of you that you're just like, man, I needed to come tonight because life is just kind of one foot in front of the other, and honestly, my Bible opening the cover, it's like it's got a 300-pound weight on top of it, and like, I feel like I'm just going through the motions. Galatians 6, 9 is your verse. Do not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time, if you do not give up, you will reap a reward. The Lord sees that some days feel like your legs weigh a thousand pounds each and following God is not easy. For you, we've got something for you tonight before you leave. Philippians 1.6, this is a promise for all of us that he who began a good work in you is faithful and he will complete it. If you feel like you're in a season of waiting, This is the verse that you cling to. And then the last verse, this is one I actually want you to turn to, 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament for practical Christian living. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Look, David wanting to just not go to war and just kind of be normal is the same as you and I just not wanting to like go back to church or quiet time or be in one more community group or whatever. We just want like a little break. Just be normal. 
share our faith with our friends, et cetera, et cetera. Like we just want to just, just take a break. Look, that is a normal temptation. David's wanting to sit behind. David like wanting to hook up with his concubines. David seeing Bathsheba out there. Like all that's normal. Those are normal human drives. Him, th- those are normal. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. So don't think you're special in your temptation. Let me just say that in a loving way to you. Just if, you, if you're having a hard time right now, don't think you're too special. Like we're all having a hard time in some way. It doesn't mean that it's not important though. But it's bad when we idolize our situation as the worst of all situations or the most difficult to get out of. And so, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Look, I bet you Joab said, David, come to war with us. That was an out. He could have gone. I bet you as they were packing off and and heading off and David was seeing his troops off, I bet a couple of the soldiers were like, come on, king, we need you. There was another opportunity. I bet you at some point, even one of his concubines or wives was like, shouldn't you go see the men? I bet you the Holy Spirit at some point convicted him, don't go on that roof. David didn't just fall from grace without hitting, uh, without hitting at least a few nets. He just cut his way through them. The Lord gives us opportunity. I can't tell you how many times, if, if I want to, I remember there was a time in my life, and I, and I can't say that I'm past any kind of lust because that would be a lie. We'll, we'll struggle with that till the day we die. But there was a time when I was uh, really wanting to look at pornography. It was probably 15 years ago. I was really wanting to look at pornography on the internet. And I was praying, God, please don't let me do it. Please don't let me do it. And it would be amazing. My buddy Scott, who now lives in Texas, all of a sudden my phone would light up and it would say, Scott Rawlings. And I was like, I didn't really want you to answer the prayer. I kind of wanted to enter into the sin. But Scott would just call out of nowhere. It was the weirdest thing. And I would answer the phone, and he was my accountability partner, and I could say, it's just crazy that you would call right now. And we would talk about it, and it was like accountability, and it was good. And he saw me. He helped see me through that season. And there are multiple times that if you have a struggle, if you've got a temptation, don't be surprised if you get a text or a phone call and it's somebody or you've, you realize like, oh, it's Tuesday night. I could go to that thing. Or, oh, it's, you know what, tomorrow's Sunday morning. I just got to make it through the night. I'm going to go back to church. Like, you'll be amazed how God will provide ways out. But we do have to live with it if we cut our way through. So tonight, we're going to sing another song. But those of you who are just feeling like maybe you just need a little pep talk, you just need like a little boost. You're like, look, I've been good for a while and it's kind of boring me. Maybe that's not completely the story. Maybe you're just like, I just feel kind of numb in my faith. I really want you to tell the Lord that as we sing this last song. And that table that we have on the way out, if you're new, we want you to stop by and, uh, and give us your info. But we're going to have four or five people over there, and they're going to just pray for you. If you could just, you can just tell them, hey, I'm doing fine, but like, I've been better with the Lord. They're just going to pray over you. 
that God will light a fire in your faith. So I'm going to pray for us as we start to worship. Lord, some of us have slipped from grace like David did, and it's a bad thing. But Lord, you are with David in that, and you'll be with us. May we cling to you. May we claim Psalm 51. But Lord, a bunch of us aren't quite there yet, but it could happen. And maybe you just feel a little distant. Maybe having a quiet time just doesn't have quite the pizzazz. Maybe there's just not quite as much fire. Lord, I ask that tonight you would just ignite in us a fresh love for you. Ignite in us a hunger for your word. Lord, ignite in us a desire to really love each other and support each other. And Lord, for the folks that are just fired up about you, that are just in a great spot with you, Lord, give them staying power. And may they be a rock that other people can lean on. And may your grace be extra abundant for the folks who have been taken advantage of like Bathsheba. And if nothing else, may those folks be able to trust you, Lord, and see that you are good. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.